Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Cluster B personality disorders are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, and unpredictable thoughts and behavior. From Ars Longa Media, this is Cluster B, scientifically informed, expert insights into the four Cluster B personality types, antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, and histrionic personality disorder. Here's today's host, Dr. Todd Grande. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks if I can analyze a case study featuring comorbid, narcissistic, and antisocial personality disorders. So a case study is when a clinician documents their experiences in treating a client. They do this with the client's consent. Sometimes the case study is referred to as a clinical vignette or a case report. These reports can be transmitted in a variety of ways. For example, published in a journal, published in a book that contains many case studies, or presented at a training. The case study I'm using here today was published in a journal, and I'll put the reference for that article in the description for this video. So let's take a look at this case. The client here is a 35-year-old male. I'll refer to him as Stephen. Stephen was treated in a closed forensic setting after he was found responsible for fraudulent bank transactions involving 25 million euros. So I looked up the conversion to U.S. dollars, and that's about $27,300,000. I'm not sure what they meant by the word involving, like it involved 25 million euro, but clearly he had obtained some of this money or all this money. And again, he did this through criminal activity. So right away, this case study stands out a bit. In many jurisdictions, if somebody's arrested for stealing this much money, the court isn't really going to be too concerned about personality pathology. Rather, they're just going to simply send the person to prison. Evidently, this case took place in the Netherlands, and in this jurisdiction, the court was willing to take into consideration severe personality pathology and ensure that the client received treatment. It was noted in the case report that according to Dutch law, a forensic patient must be treated until they have improved to such a degree where reoffending is unlikely. Now, Stephen used the money that he had stolen on expensive cars, expensive clothes. He lived in first-class hotels. So he wasn't being discreet at the time of his arrest. It wasn't specified in the case report how long his original sentence was, but it did indicate that he was supposed to be reevaluated every two years. Now, during the intake into the facility, he went through an assessment. During this assessment, he did not display any indication of shame, guilt, or nervousness. He appeared to be cooperative. The case report said he feigned cooperation. He provided information that was incorrect or incomplete and he would give very detailed but unimportant information to the clinician. So we get the sense here that he liked to hear himself talk, and he liked to dominate conversations. So now to take a look at his early history, I think it's important to keep in mind here that much of this information probably came directly from him. I imagine some of it was also verified, but either way, I would be a little bit skeptical about how accurate it would be, given his propensity for not telling the truth. So we see in his early history that Stephen's parents were career-focused individuals. 
who tended to ignore him. His father was described as an industrialist, and his mother was an actress. Stephen had no siblings and no real friends, and grew up feeling quite lonely, drifting off into a world of fantasy. Stephen was raised by a nanny, and he did form a special bond with her. When Stephen would ask his father for help, he would be criticized in a hostile manner. Stephen was also criticized by his peers. They teased him because he was shy, withdrawn, and appeared to be depressed. So we see a number of threats here to his ego, and we also see insecure attachment. In addition to this, we see something called insecure autonomy. This is where one rejects the world by constructing an imaginary one where they have a tremendous amount of power. Stephen develops this fantasy of unlimited power, which of course is one of the symptoms we see with narcissistic personality disorder. Now, Stephen started to develop a pattern of disobedience. He became angry and aggressive, and he started stealing and got into forgery, which I think is an interesting way to go for somebody so young, right? I mean, the aggression and the stealing, that wouldn't be unusual if somebody had a tough upbringing. But getting into forgery, I found that to be a little bit unusual. Stephen began to develop a great respect for well-known real and fictional characters. He started to identify with people like Robin Hood, train robbers, and master swindlers. He developed a genuine interest in fraud and how to deceive people. He viewed his ability to deceive people as powerful. It was a power that could grant him revenge against his parents, a power that could grant him revenge against his peers. It would allow him to maintain his fantasy world. After dropping out of high school, he had many lower-level jobs from which he was fired or quit. And when he was fired, it was because of deceptive and irresponsible behavior or failure to complete his job. From the ages of 18 to 35, we see that Stephen was a prolific criminal, engaging in fraud, extortion, illegal trade, and dealing drugs. So he had an extensive history here that is consistent with antisocial personality disorder. Now taking a look at the time he spent in the facility. So we covered his early years up to 35. Now we're looking at when he is incarcerated. An important note here, this facility used a psychoanalytic approach. So their understanding of narcissism is that it develops to protect a fragile ego. Stephen's behavior in the facility was fairly interesting. He attempted to dominate and manipulate members of the staff and other patients by using creative language and being subtle in his vocal qualities. He also tried to appear elegant and stately. At the same time, his mannerism was immature, cold, and vindictive. He generally tried to avoid social and interpersonal problems. He was fearful that other people wanted to hurt him. So we see an interesting dichotomy here, being dominant and manipulative, while at the same time being fearful. So he was doing things that placed him in harm's way, all the while wanting to avoid confrontation. Stephen pretended to be highly educated. Evidently, he forged a doctoral degree in the arts, I guess putting those forgery skills to good use. Stephen liked to borrow features from individuals that he viewed as high status. He imitated the unblinking, aristocratic, and dominant behavior of a famous French actor. He would take idealized characteristics of famous people and incorporate them into his fantasies and essentially into his identity. While he was doing this, however, he was not having delusions. He was fully aware that he did not have any connection with those famous people. So essentially, he constructed a grandiose self with all these wonderful and amazing traits 
of people that he respected, an unrealistic self-image, one that in his mind probably approximated perfection. The difficulty for Stephen was that he could not maintain this view of his high self-importance. Every now and then he would become doubtful about how important he was. He would start to believe that he was not really popular, and this would lead to feelings of self-hate and low self-esteem. Even though Stephen was not delusional, he did demonstrate a profound lack of insight. He didn't realize how other people were viewing him. Even though he was behaving in a polite and even gentle manner some of the time, the other patients and staff members saw right through him. They were unable to have meaningful interactions with him. So we really see how in his narcissistic grandiosity, Stephen becomes more disconnected from other people, more isolated, necessitating a movement to even a higher level of grandiosity and fantasy in order to maintain his self-esteem. There is no external validation of his behavior, like from other people. It all has to come from inside. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. So now specifically looking at Stephen's response to treatment while in the facility. So Stephen maintained an attitude of distrust and stubbornness with his therapist, which came more pronounced when he was being confronted about his bad behavior. It was clear that Stephen was highly intelligent, able to solve complex problems, and think in terms of abstraction. So I'm picturing somebody really high in openness to experience. He wanted acknowledgement from his therapist regarding his perfection, and interestingly, the therapist kind of gave into this a little as part of the psychoanalytic strategy. It was done in order to create a safe environment where Stephen could trust. This is a little bit controversial in terms of therapy in general, but I can see how it's consistent, again, with psychoanalytic thought. Stephen frequently lost his temper in session, he was verbally abusive, and he would return to a cynical attitude very quickly. Stephen was very sensitive to what he viewed as empathic failures. 
This is when he believed the therapist wasn't understanding his point of view. But as the therapy progressed, he learned that the therapist was, in fact, empathizing. And this helped Stephen to develop more insight. Eventually, the therapist was able to explore traumatic memories of parental rejection and neglect, believed to be ideological to Stephen's narcissism, meaning the parental rejection and neglect were thought to cause Stephen's narcissistic personality. Stephen recounted one particular time when he returned home from school early one day to discover another man was with his mother. She was having an affair. Stephen was only nine years old at the time, and he made an effort to be close to his mother, and she rejected him with a cynical gesture. He recounted that this was one of the worst memories of his life. As therapy progressed, Stephen started to realize how he was thinking of other people as either inferior or superior. This is actually pretty common with narcissism. Usually there are a large number of people that the narcissist views as inferior and a small number they view as superior. He also started to frame his deviant behavior as an attempt at revenge at his parents. He could never be good enough for them. He viewed himself as an undesired child. Stephen was particularly envious of other people who lived a comfortable life, were socially and financially successful, and were able to meet their goals without manipulating people or lying to people. This is actually a remarkable level of insight for somebody with comorbid NPD and ASPD. Stephen understood that he didn't have the social skills to be successful in lawful careers, and he was frustrated that he didn't obtain a higher educational level. The therapist put together a program in which Stephen would complete high school, which he did quite rapidly, and then he would attend university classes for three to four days a week and study art history. He lived on the campus for those days, on the university campus, although, of course, he was still considered to be incarcerated. This is much different than what we would see in the United States, for example, right? A person who is essentially a prisoner being allowed to leave for half the week and attend university classes. At the same time, Stephen was in a program that was designed to improve his relational skills. Stephen really struggled with this part. He was exceptionally intelligent, and he did well at the university, but he maintained a high level of skepticism regarding his professors and classmates. My guess would be that he was also condescending toward them. He was looking down on them. Due to his superior academic performance, he started to receive positive attention from his professors and classmates. He experienced this initially as narcissistic gratification. So really, we see that there was a risk taken here in terms of his treatment. The therapist knew he would perform well academically and would receive this positive attention. And then you see this kind of feeds the narcissism. However, eventually he started to experience this attention as the foundation for trust. Not long after this, he was able to process constructive criticism from other people. He earned his doctorate within three years and graduated with honors. Stephen had finally earned legitimate success. And then he recognized how destructive his narcissistic behavior was. He began to develop a contempt for his narcissistic self. He viewed that entity, that part of him, as undesirable, disturbing, and boring. Not surprisingly, he was still unhappy about being incarcerated. He viewed this as an attempt to control him and violate his privacy. This wouldn't be a problem for long because shortly after this, he was released. He served a total of seven years. He never reoffended, and according to the case report, he remained 
symptom-free. He eventually became a recognized scholar. So a few thoughts on this case. As I was reading this case report and seeing all these adjustments that Stephen made throughout the years, two steps forward and one step back, it was easy to put this together with his extremely high level of intelligence and think he basically just played everybody in this facility so he could get a PhD in art history and get released from custody. Now, that's the cynical side of this case analysis. It's difficult to believe somebody could actually have the level of narcissism that he had and go to being symptom-free, which again is what the case report specified. It didn't say he had some symptoms from time to time and got into some trouble. It said symptom-free. That's a bold proclamation to make when dealing with somebody who started out with comorbid NPD and ASPD. Perhaps the clinicians and the staff at the facility saw what they wanted to see. It's impossible to know for sure. Even still, with my skepticism duly noted, I'm inclined to believe that this case report was, for the most part, accurate. This facility treated somebody with NPD and ASPD, and that person experienced a substantial recovery. I'm not convinced he fully recovered, but I think it's plausible to believe that he did have dramatic improvement. And even with an incomplete recovery, this is an amazing case. I can understand why it was written up and published. The success rate with comorbid NPD and ASPD is quite low. The case report made me wonder, is the treatment success rate so low because in most countries, someone who committed these offenses would never have been given quality treatment? Or is it so low because they don't tend to change? Those are two theories that come to mind. I imagine it's really because of both. I think both of those contribute to the low success rate. What really impressed me about this case report was the commitment to help this individual to face the grim prognosis and confront the reality of harm that Stephen caused, and yet still invest substantial therapeutic talent to reform him. A challenging case by any definition. At the same time, though, the lack of punishment for his crimes is a little worrisome. Yes, he served seven years, but he also got to live on a university campus for half the week for three of those years. Even if one were to look at his particular circumstances and find this to be just, there would be the concern about what type of deterrent this really offers. What's the message to other people who are considering committing crimes like this? Manipulate and deceive people? steal the equivalent of $27 million, live the high life, then spend seven years in a treatment facility and earn a PhD. It doesn't really seem to add up. One insight from a therapeutic perspective I had when looking at this case was the idea of the direction of anger. We see that Stephen had a lot of anger for other people, but as he recovered, he pointed that anger inward, not at his entire self, but rather just at his narcissistic self. Again, we see the psychoanalytic conceptualization prominent here. So in a sense, the narcissistic tendency to experience disgust and to have intense anger is still seemingly useful in recovery, as long as that anger is directed at the narcissistic part of one's identity. For more content like this, check out Healthy Toxic, another podcast from Ars Longa Media, all about what makes or breaks relationships, including issues related to narcissism, narcissistic abuse, and how personality disorders affect relationships. Ars Longa, Vita Brevitz. 
Learn more at ArsLonga.media. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.